the secret. Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the union label. That's to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome aboard, everybody. Welcome aboard. I'm yours, Alan Nathan, the Militant Moderate. Thank you so much for joining us. If this is your virgin voyage, allow me to share with you our mantra. Folks, we want the Republicans out of our bedroom, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our First and Second Amendment rights. We feel there exists this cavernous gap separating the two orthodoxies and that it's a gap comprised of many degreed thinking people who can argue quite passionately in shades of gray. And to that end, each and every show we have fine guests to help best illustrate this point. Today is no exception. Also, if you wish to hook up with us on the web, it's www.alannathan.com. Don't forget that email address, alan at alannathan.com. That's A-L-A-N. Coming at you live and strong each and every Monday through Friday at this time. Don't forget the classic Alan Nathan show, Saturday, 6 to 7 p.m. And overnight Sunday mornings, 3 to 4, all times Eastern. We are indeed a Main Street Radio Network production. Please check us out at MainStreetRadioNetwork.com. Feel free to avail yourselves of our nascent but always robust Twitter and Facebook options that we have there for you. And of course, with great dispatch and alacrity, we love to thank our distributor, the Salem Radio Network. That's right, the Alan Nathan Show is entering its 25th year of national syndication, all thanks to you, reaching about 800 towns and cities across a couple of hundred radio station broadcasts each week. Again, all thanks to you, and by the way, I don't care if you're part of the authoritarian left or perpetually clueless right, please get out of the thought control business. Our topics du jour, as you may have heard, well, Elon Musk, again now I guess what, the second wealthiest man on the planet, demonstrates a way to expose the weakness of the woke media Nazis in one interview with the BBC while exposing government censorial interference in another on Fox News' Tucker Carlson show. Will all this catch on? Also, a Rasmussen poll not long ago showed that Trump is over Biden while his numbers rise with blacks, Hispanics, women, and independents, even as Florida Governor DeSantis does better than both. But will these trends continue? Also, a healthy year old, a healthy 50-year-old orthopedic surgeon by the name of Dr. Joel Walscog becomes crippled and unemployed within a week of receiving a COVID shot and has since fought the online censorship of vaccine debacle stories like his. When does this stop? When does the censorship stop? Arguments need to rise and fall on the merits, not on the dictates of one side over the other, especially when it comes to matters of science. You know, folks, we have to remember science is the study of the natural world based on facts learned through experimentation and observation and what else? Competitive analyses. And without that last part, you have nothing but junk science. Yet these bozos out of Washington, such as uh, Dr. Fauci, formerly uh, the uh, uh, USAID, these are folks who were of the impression that if you disagreed with them, you were therefore by default against science. His own words. To argue with me, he said, is to argue with science. But arguing is a, an integral component of science. 
not in so far as people wanting to be right over the other, but saying, hey, in the field, my findings have brought about these results. They seem to run contrary to the results that you're discussing. We should juxtapose one to the other and find out why this disconnect exists. But that very transfer of information doesn't get to reach the light of day if you got somebody throwing a blanket all over it just because said additional light would run contrary to his, her, or their preferred narrative. This is the problem we had. A lot of people were harmed by this. But anyway, I want to get back to uh, this Musk situation. This is really funny. Um, oh, there, there was this piece written by Elizabeth Stauffer. We've had her on our show before. It's in the Washington Examiner. It's entitled, How to Dumbfound a Liberal in 10 Seconds or Less. Now, she humorously summarized how well Elon Musk recently embarrassed a woke reporter whose bias-structured questions fell apart faster than, well, let's say, any one of Biden's compound sentences might. This is what she writes. During a Tuesday interview with BBC reporter James Clayton, Elon Musk poured gasoline on, set fire to, and then jumped up and down on the tongue-tied journalist with football cleats after being asked a predictably biased question. Clayton had confronted Musk about what he claimed was an increasing quantity of hate speech on Twitter. But the world's second richest man quite handily turned the conversation around. Musk asked, what hate speech are you talking about? I mean, you use Twitter. Do you see a rise in hate speech? Just a personal anecdote. I don't. When Clayton said he did indeed see an increase in hate speech on social media platform on the social media platform, Musk challenged him to provide an example. Clayton replied, "Honestly, I don't. I don't actually use that feed uh, anymore because I don't particularly like it. And actually, a lot of people are quite similar. I only look at my followers." Musk pressed the hapless reporter, "I'm asking for one example, and you can't give a single one." Then I say, sir, that you don't know what you're talking about. Musk added, you cannot give me a single example of hateful content, not even one tweet. And yet you claim that hateful content was high. That is false. You just lied. End of excerpt. Now, folks, when you think about it, Musk, he simply did what's done on this show all the time. Pointing out when lefties use presuppositions masquerading as settled argument, versus ever showing how said arguments were truly settled. I mean, do we ever see Republicans catching on to this counter-approach used by Musk because they need to? They've got to. It's getting crazy out there. Look, I know there are a few. All right? There are a few who can muster this more aggressive countering tactic. I mean, you've got folks like, well, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and who else? Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan, or maybe New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. And, of course, old friend our show, we've had her on a bunch of times, Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn. These, these folks come to mind, but you know what? Not a whole lot. I mean, we, you got to wonder, do we see the GOP ever eventually growing a collective pair on this issue? Or are they going to continue the same week Marcus of Queensbury rules to which, by the way, they only adhere? This has got to be changed. Now, here's a few more excerpts from uh, Stouffer's piece. She writes, BBC's James Clayton won't soon forget his this very public moment of utter humiliation. Hopefully, he will learn something from it and be better prepared for future interviews. More important, 
was the teachable moment it provided for the rest of us. Liberal journalists are great at regurgitating talking points, but beyond that, they typically lack any real understanding of the issues. They don't have to have such an understanding because they are rarely, if ever, called upon to support their statements with evidence or valid arguments. Conservatives, on the other hand, uh, they're typically well-armed with the facts. They need to be because it's not a level playing field. End of her excerpts. You know, she's right about conservatives being better informed on subject matter. I, I would actually add that uh, my fellow centrists as well as libertarians and constitutionalists are as well. But until those who are better prepared on subject matter also learn how to more effectively humiliate those on the left after using such conclusory tactics, they'll never be disincentivized enough to stop, will they? Or at least uh, use them less often. You, you know, uh, unless you subject people to the appropriate disincentivizing they need, they're going to continue. If incentives reinforce behavior, then clearly only disincentives can counter it. And, and by the way, when I say uh, conclusionary, uh, conclusionary tactics, tactics, that refers to the left telling us that the conclusions of their claims equal proof of their arguments versus, you know, showing the proof itself. In other words, what I said must be true because I said it. <laughs> I mean, if we had an objective press, perhaps this sophistry wouldn't survive. But we don't, so it does. Isn't it hilarious just how weak the left really is in dialogue and debate, but are somehow still able to shame the press into always carrying their water. How, how do they pull that off? Why the disconnect? Anyway, Stouffer had some closing advice worth hearing. She further writes that these people need to be held accountable for the unconsidered and inane generalities that fall out of their tongue so easily. They must be called out for these broad, foolish statements immediately and completely. They must be asked why specifically they hate Trump. Did they hate the robust economy we had pre-pandemic? The 1.4% inflation rate? The low gas prices? Were they unhappy when the U.S. was energy independent? When Russia and China stayed in their lanes? That the Trump administration enforced our immigration laws? What did they like about Biden? Were they happy when he returned to Afghanistan to Taliban rule? Are they proud of him representing the U.S. on the world stage? Are they happy that more than 5 million immigrants have entered the U.S. illegally since he took office? Etc., etc. Oh. Folks, more on this upon a return. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. Going to be right back. This message is provided by Beringer Engelheim. Idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, or IPF, is one of the more common forms of progressive fibrosing interstitial lung diseases with symptoms including breathlessness during activity, a dry and persistent cough, chest discomfort, fatigue, and weakness. There are more than 200 lung disorders that can lead to pulmonary fibrosis, an irreversible scarring of lungs that can negatively impact lung function, quality of life, and may become life-threatening. While approved treatments for people living with these diseases can help slow disease progression, new therapies are needed to help potentially stop progression. Fortunately, there is new research underway to assess the safety and efficacy of an investigational treatment in patients with IPF and other progressive ILDs. This is part of Beringer Ingelheim's Phase 3 Global 
Global Fibronear program. To learn more about Fibronear and eligibility requirements, visit fibronear-ipf.longboat.com and fibronear-ild.longboat.com. This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math, but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM Skills Build continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to scale 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. Dear John, I was hoping it wouldn't come to this, but you've left me no choice. I'm leaving. Uncontrolled high blood pressure is really serious, and lately you seem to really not care. I've been there for you since day one, and I know you think I'm going to keep ticking. But no, my friend, I can quit whenever I want. Why can't we get back to the good times when we were more active and ate more healthy foods and you checked on me every once in a while? Is that too much to ask? I don't want to leave, but unless you stop ignoring me, what else am I supposed to do? Remember, when I quit, you quit. Sincerely, your heart. Listen to your heart and don't let it quit on you. Doing the minimum to control your high blood pressure isn't doing enough. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. For help keeping yours at a healthy range, text PRESSURE to 97779. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time Ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at PVA.org. There's not enough people to police this stuff, particularly around, um, particularly around hate speech um, in the company. Do, do, is that something that you've been talking address? about? I mean, you use Twitter, right? Do you see a rise in hate speech? I mean, I, but just a personal anecdote. Like, what do you do? I don't. Personally, my uh, for you, I would see I get I get more of that kind of content. Yeah, personally. That's but, what I'm asking for examples. Can right? You, can you name one example? I, I honestly don't use. I, I, honestly, you I don't can't name I, a single example. I'll tell you why. Because I don't actually use that for you feed anymore. Because I, I just don't particularly like it. I only look at my, my followers. You said you've seen more hateful content, but you can't name a single example. Not even one. I'm not sure I've used that feed for the last. 
three or four weeks. And I, how I did you see the Hebel content? content? Because I've been I've been using it, I've been using Twitter since you've taken it over for the last six months. Okay, so then you must have at some point seen that you for you hateful content. I'm asking for one example. Right, and you I, can't I, give us a lot. And I'm saying, I, I, then I, I say, sir, that you don't know what you're talking about. Really? <laughs> you know, I was chatting about that. How it was uh, quoted in. Uh, Elizabeth Stouffer's uh, column, and, and I just wanted to sort of whet everybody's appetite. But that was the actual exchange itself, and it's uh, more delicious than uh, uh, as conveyed by Ms. Stouffer. And she did a brilliant job, but, I mean, still, there's nothing like the real thing. Every year is Alan Nathan, the militant moderate, once again. This is the oasis for those who have an aversion to the left-right, black-white, two-dimensional approach. And you heard Elon Musk demonstrating a marvelous way to expose the weakness of the woke media Nazis in just that one interview with the BBC. And, of course, uh, later on he does uh, some marvelous things on Tucker Carlson. He exposes government sensorial interference um, as well. But that was indeed a a delicious example of how to handle uh, left-wing sophistry. This guy, this poor schmuck, uh, James Clayton with the BBC, uh, saying that there are not enough employees at Twitter to police hate speech. Elon Musk asks if James has seen a rise in hate speech. James says he sees it in his uh, you know, own feed. And uh, when Musk asks for a specific example, James Clayton uh, is unable to provide one. I mean, he hems and haws. He says he doesn't use the uh, For You feed, and Elon then presses him for an example because he says that Uh, He has personally seen it. It doesn't matter what feed he uses or doesn't use if he, on one hand, says that he has personally seen this rise in hate speech, but on the other hand, is absolutely incapable of mustering one example to illustrate said hate, then clearly he has been caught red-handed lying out of his backside. Or maybe I'm being a skosh too unkind. I don't think I'm being unkind enough. Tell you the truth. We have assisting in the opining and analyzing old friend of the show, Don Irvine, chairman of Accuracy in Media and Accuracy in Academia. His father launched Accuracy in Media in, what, 1969. Articles from his blog, Bias Watch, are frequently republished by outlets such as Fox Nation as well as National Review. By the way, he's also co-author of the highly praised work entitled Why You Can't Trust the News, Volume 2 and 3. Don, good to have you back, buddy. How are you today? Doing great. Glad to be back. Uh, that was just really a, a marvelous exchange. If you wouldn't mind, I'd like to repeat it for uh, the audience as well as your own uh, personal enjoyment uh, because this guy was given every opportunity to cough up the goods, and he could not. Clip one again, James, if you please. They just, there's not enough people to police this stuff, particularly around, um, particularly around hate speech um, in the company. Do, do, is that something that you want to you're talking about? I mean, you use Twitter. Right. Do you see a rise in hate speech? I mean, I, but just a personal anecdote, like what do you do? I don't. Personally, my uh, for you, I would see I get I get more of that kind of content. Yeah, personally. That's but, what I'm asking for examples. Can right? You, can you name one example? I, I honestly don't. You, I, I, honestly, you I don't. Can't name I, a single example. I'll tell you why. Because I don't actually use that for you feed anymore. Because I I just don't particularly like it. Because I only look at my, my following. You said you've seen more hateful content, but you can't name a single example. Not even one. I'm not sure I've used that feed for the last three or four weeks. And I, well, I, how can you see that hateful content? Content. Because I've been I've been using I've been using Twitter since you've taken it over for the last six months. Okay, so then you must have at some point seen that you for you hateful content. I'm asking for one example. Right, and you I, can't I, give us a more. And, and, and I'm saying, I, I, then I, I say, sir, that you don't know what you're talking about. Really, <laughs> Don, it doesn't get richer than that, does it, sir? 
No, absolutely not. I mean, uh, Clayton was uh, overmatched uh, there by by Musk. It, you would you would think someone would know who uh, how good Musk is in a lot of these interviews. And you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna accuse Musk and Twitter of doing something on this hate speech, you better be ready to back it up instead of all the backtracking and trying to you know cover his behind, which he just didn't do very well at all. No, we did, and it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty sad to witness, although a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I, I say sad, but I, I mean it in the most tongue-in-cheek fashion. Nothing sad about it. I thought it was absolutely delicious, and uh, we do need to uh, have this happen more often. And it continued. A little bit of this went on. Let me go ahead and share another clip here. This again uh, on that BBC, and I've been on BBC myself a few times. Um, it's an operation actually that was exposed as biased. They got tired of being accused of being biased, so they went out and they hired an objective research firm to investigate this preposterous claim that we're biased, and the research firm pretty much confirmed the very thing they didn't want, They never wanted to hear. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's go ahead and listen to uh, clip two. James, if you please. You can't give me a single example of hateful con- content, not even one tweet, and yet you claimed that the hateful content was high. Well... That's a false. People will say all sorts of nonsense. I'm literally asking for a right. single example. You can name one. Right. And as, as I've already said, I don't use that feed. But let's, well, how let, do you know? That I don't you, think this is getting anywhere. You literally said you experienced more hateful content and then couldn't name a single example. Right. And as I said, I, That's haven't, absurd. I, haven't, I haven't actually looked at that feed. Then how would you know this hateful weeks. content? Because I'm saying that's what I saw a few weeks ago. I can't give you an exact example. Let's move on. Yeah, please, let's move on because I'm stuck here and I clearly don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So please, let's move on. Uh, I mean, you know what it is? I think Musk exposed – Don, you tell, tell me where I'm wrong. I think Musk subjected to this guy this guy to some good old-fashioned Socratic dialogue, point-counterpoint, counter-to-point, counterpoint. You know, he didn't let him detour the discussion on the, any self-indulgent road of escapism. He wasn't allowed to use – uh, corrupted syllogisms or fractured enthymemes. You know, uh, he wasn't allowed to get away with presuppositions masquerading as settled argument versus showing how said argument was ever actually settled. No, he was caught red-handed making an assertion and then being completely unable to tether it to any measurable standard of accountability in dialogue or debate. Uh, where am I perhaps uh, being uh, overly strident on this? Oh, yeah, not in this case. I mean, this this was a complete embarrassment for the BBC to have done that. I mean, he backed himself into a corner. Musk, you know, knew exactly what he was doing, and he, you know, he was he was point blank says, you know, where's the evidence? You know, tell me what where the tweets are that are a hateful speech. You know, you said you used for you feed, and then you said, well, I haven't looked at it for several weeks, so I really can't tell you. I mean, you know, he's talking out of two sides of his mouth. It's incredible. Uh, that this guy could even consider himself to be any kind of a journalist when he when he can't, when he can't uh, hold this interview and do this right. Well, they're just they're just so accustomed to being able to uh, make assertions as if they're a given fact without that thing ever having been validated. Again, as I said before, using presuppositions masquerading as settled argument. Um, you know, oh, I, what I said must be true because I said it. This is what permeates the left these days. Um, I mean, and I think folks are growing tired of assertions endlessly predicated on what are really nothing more than other assertions with only shaming tactics used as their validation. I think that formula is wearing thin, is it not, Donner Vine? That's right, and that's why the distrust of the media and the left is growing and growing. 
Oh, it's on a rampage, and rightly so. Anyway, Don Irvine, everybody, chairman of Accuracy and Media, thanks again. Folks, you're listening to The Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. Going to be right back. From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common, but after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve and again on Valentine's Day and on random occasions throughout the year. They're drawn to each other, though they are each too insecure to be their true selves. So what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist? Author Elise Bryant. This is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are. I hope readers enjoy going along on this ride with Reggie and Delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the way. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold. Spring is here, and there's no better time to try something new. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar and enjoy real Coke taste and zero sugar. Now available at participating Burger King restaurants. Try Coke Zero Sugar with your favorite food from Burger King. Satisfy your hunger and enjoy Coke Zero Sugar with a piping hot breakfast sandwich, like a sausage, egg, and cheese croissant. Sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant makes for a delicious breakfast to start your morning right. And don't forget the crispy hash browns. Or if the flame-grilled Whopper sandwich, BK Royal crispy chicken sandwich, or chicken fries are your fave, you are in luck. All Burger King menu items pair perfectly with an ice-cold Coke Zero Sugar. It's the perfect no-sugar sparkling beverage that goes great with everything. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar to enjoy spring your way at Burger King, where you rule. At participating U.S. Burger King restaurants. Sponsored by Coca-Cola. Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Climb puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools, suddenly everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries, from healthcare and manufacturing 
to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. A message from the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Blowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Over here is Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the Oasis for those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach. Absolutely delighted you could be with us. Covering a number of things here today, as you may have heard, Elon Musk demonstrates a way to expose the weakness of the woke media Nazis in one interview with the BBC. And then he later on exposes government sensorial interference in another on Fox News' Tucker Carlson show. We discussed the first. We're going to get to the second later on. Um, a Rasmussen poll shows Trump over Biden, while his numbers rise with blacks, Hispanics, women, and independents, even as Florida Governor DeSantis does better than both. Will that trend continue? Also, uh, I want to get to this as soon as we can. A healthy 50-year-old orthopedic surgeon by the name of Dr. Joel Walscog uh, becomes crippled and unemployed within a week of receiving a COVID shot. And he has since fought the online censorship of vaccine debacle stories like his. When does it stop? It's like whenever something like this arises, you're not allowed to talk about it. It's as if anything running contrary to the preferred view of what science is, of others, is to not be acceptable. This is crazy. Um, but almost, <laughs> almost as crazy as that is the way uh, this White House handles mass shootings. Uh, we, we've just gotten some very, very strange uh, reactions from the White House when it comes to certain uh, kinds of mass shootings. I mean, you, you had, uh, I don't know what, seven, eight, nine people uh, shot down over the weekend in Chicago. Another 30-some-odd others injured by gun violence. And even though these numbers compete with or often exceed any of the deaths incurred in these otherwise more spectacularly covered mass shootings, they don't see the light of day. It's as if these lives don't matter as much because they haven't happened in a school. I have an idea. Why don't we harden the security of these schools and we can bring about a reduction of the violence happening there? You ever notice that we don't have many mass shootings at banks? Not many. You don't have many mass shootings at police stations. You don't have many mass shootings at government buildings. Why? Because would-be perpetrators know that there's a greater likelihood that they'd be having a lot of fire returned on them. All right. They'd be facing a lot of return fire. 
But anytime you mention this, your lecturers say, oh, we don't want to have the, a gulag appearance at our schools. If our kids are fine going on field trips to, 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 to you know, the Smithsonian Institute or, 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 or uh, the Aeronautical Museum or, or any of these other places where kids go on field trips and they see plenty of security around them, why is it they would be so disquieted over similar security uh, surrounding their schools? It's a ridiculous excuse. It's a secondary measure used in lieu of their not being able to satisfy the primary measure. Face it, folks, guns save more lives than they take away. As proven each and every year by the National Crime Victimization Survey provided by the Department of Justice. 100,000 times a year, people save themselves from robbery, rape, and murder through the mere brandishing of a firearm. Juxtapose that to the 32,000 we lose each year uh, from gun deaths, a third of which, by the way, are are, uh, suicide. And then you see clearly, as a matter of rudimentary math, guns are saving more lives than they're taking away. Unless, of course, language is no longer tethered to the meanings of the words that comprise it. Anyway, without further ado, let me introduce old friend of the show, Dr. Mark Sherwood. Former Oklahoma gubernatorial candidate, he spent much of his career in law enforcement. Uh, he was also at the um, uh, Functional Medical Institute, and he's talking about how silly it is that Dems, Dems want gun control instead of protecting schools. Doctor, good to have you back. How are you today? Hey, I'm doing well, Alan. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. No, a pleasure, pleasure indeed. You heard what I had to say about the hardening of security at schools versus the removal of everybody's guns, gun rights. The Democrats don't want to hear it, which I think exposes their true intent. Or am I seeing too much into it, doctor? No, you're actually seeing it correct. The The irony of this is that you go back and you read the text of the Second Amendment, you know, and I'm quoting, being necessary to the security of free state, end quote. That is the idea of why we have guns. So the actual idea of guns gave us the freedom to really do what we're doing now, to have a discussion here on national radio. Um, At the same time, you know, I've been trained in what to do with mass shooters. And I use common sense when I approach this, Alan. I'm thinking, okay, why wouldn't you want security there to protect your kids? That seems absurd not to. Uh, Very quickly, I learned a powerful lesson probably 25 years ago in the country of Israel. I was over there doing some business and walked up to an area that was high fence, barbed wire fence in the top, and an armed military person out front. Me being in law enforcement time, I went up and struck a conversation and says, what is this place, a, a military station, a police station? What is this? It was a school. And I asked him a simple question. Why are you here? Why do you think it's necessary? And he said, listen, I'm protecting our nation's future. And you know what? I stopped. And said, and I said, I get it. No, you're you're absolutely correct. I've seen those areas myself. As a matter of fact, uh, I had the uh, privilege of uh, of being on assignment during the Hezbollah Israeli conflict, and I saw firsthand how they how yep. they handled themselves, how they protect themselves, um, and they don't get caught up in the secondary measure of how a thing appears to be. They're more interested in the primary measure of protecting people. And yet, any time you uh, mention the idea or the prospect of hardening the security of schools, uh, the left only returned with the aesthetics as an argument. Well, you can't have it look like a gulag. I mean, 
Am I wrong in saying that anytime kids are taken to a field trip and, and they go to the Smithsonian Institute or a, an art gallery, an art museum, they see security all around. They don't feel intimidated by it. I would venture to say they feel that much more secure knowing that there's, there's that much more protection. But that's what they'll do. They'll, they'll use a characterization in lieu of arguments they can't otherwise satisfy because they, they would be very, very troubled acknowledging that guns do indeed save more lives than they take away. I mentioned before that the... Uh, Department of Justice puts out each year this National Crime Victimization Survey showing that on about 100,000 times a year, or about a, there are about 100,000 times a year where folks do indeed save themselves from robbery, rape, and murder through the mere brandishing of a firearm. And when you compare that to the 32, 33,000 uh, lives lost through, through gun use, and again, a third of those are suicide, well, then clearly looking at the rudiments of math, isn't it fair to say that guns save more lives than they take away, doctor? Without question, it is. When you look at this, it's the guns are not killing people. People kill people. You can't legislate violence and uh, hatred and evil out of mankind's heart. Good luck. The first murder was with a rock, and the biggest murders in the history of our land have been with fertilizer and airplanes. We need to understand that uh, the more we spin these narratives into a – purposeful way to shift what we want to see happen, which is what they're doing. They're actually indirectly promoting and inciting violence from people that are very, have a lot of hatred within them. So they're using it as a mechanism to create the end, which you and I both know is not going to work. We need to secure our schools, forget the optics, and secure those schools for the purposes of, of preserving lives and preserving our future in the schools shouldn't be places of indoctrination either. They should be schools of preparation to become quality um, adults within this wonderful land. Amen to that. Amen to that. Um, I was interested in uh, the weirdness behind the White House's reaction. I remember when the, you know, clear, clearly we've just, uh, we just had that horrible uh, uh, Dadeville mass shooting uh, that went on in, uh, in, in Alabama. And, of course, the president, again, is wanting to push uh, the removal of the so-called assault weapons. He wants an assault weapons ban. Um, but if memory serves, in 94, when that assault weapons ban was passed, it was, it was in existence for about 10 years. And I don't think it shaved off more than 1% of gun deaths. And that's not surprising because even at the time, only a minuscule number of gun deaths were ever uh, triggered, pardon the pun, by these so-called assault weapons, which are just AK-47s and AR-15s, which can only fire one bullet per trigger pull. Uh, Biden wants to get rid of all of these uh, semi-automatics, but if you do that, you're going to get rid of most of the general handguns that we have. I mean, when you think about it technically, even a revolver is something you could almost call a semi-automatic in that each time you pull the trigger and a bullet is fired, uh, another bullet is filled uh, to be fired next. Where am I mistaken? No, you're exactly right. Law enforcement tells you that. You can get very, very good at firing even a revolver at a very rapid pace and making it uh, repeat itself You know, with the firing mechanism uh, almost to appear like a semi-automatic weapon. Um, I think, too, but even that a semi-automatic think- weapon still takes a, a, a trigger pull per bullet fired. So that's right. I mean, you know, whether whether it's a semi-automatic pistol or a revolver, they're very much close to the same thing. But let's just forget about the revolver. If you just get rid of semi-automatic uh, guns altogether, 
you're pretty much going to remove the vast majority of mostly purchased pistols, uh, uh, mostly purchased uh, handguns that we have in the country. Isn't that fair to say? Yeah, it is. And we just can't go down that pathway. It's a super slippery slope, Alan. Oh, my God, yeah. Actually, Doc, if you wouldn't mind, hang on the line for just a moment, folks. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. Going to be right back. In December, LastPass, a popular app for managing passwords, suffered a security breach, potentially exposing millions of people's personal information. When a business created to protect passwords gets hacked, it's a reminder how vulnerable our sensitive information can be when stored in the cloud. And for businesses who need to protect data, security is a top concern. To help prevent security risks, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud recently introduced a password manager. Jump Clouds Antoine Jabara. Businesses cannot always rely on an offline solution as users need to share and access passwords across multiple devices, and cloud based options aren't ideal either. Jump Cloud Password Manager takes a hybrid approach, storing data on users' devices and seamlessly syncs user vaults to multiple devices in an end to end encrypted way. This addresses some of the limitations of cloud based systems and bridges the gap between convenience and security. To learn more, visit jumpcloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you want to support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes, their age, the way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who who got got his his first first job, job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries. I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. 
The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year, remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. I'm Ben Affleck, and I want to thank you for joining me and supporting Paralyzed Veterans of America. Our vets need you. I'm a quadriplegic. I'm definitely at risk with my diminished lung capacity. I have MS. I'm in a wheelchair, and I can't leave the house because I have a compromised immune system. I'm very concerned about would there be a bed for me? Would there be a ventilator for me? Would I be able to survive something? It's, it's just heavy. You know, it's, it's a heavy... It's a heavy moment. This is a war. This really is. Our veterans fought for us. Let's fight for them. I am so grateful for the PVA. They're making sure that we have all of the food and supplies that we need right now. We all got to help each other right now. We can't get through this by ourselves. It's with profound gratitude that you're going to be saving our lives. To find out how you can help, please go to helppva.org. That's H-E-L-P-P-V-A dot org. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, every year. is Alan Nathan, the militant moderate. Once again, this is the oasis for those who have an aversion to the left, right, black, white, two-dimensional approach. We're continuing with our topics today. Uh, one of the things I wanted to zero in on uh, was this uh, healthy 50-year-old orthopedic surgeon by the name of Dr. Joel Walskog. Uh, becoming a cripple is also unemployed within a week of receiving a COVID shot. Uh, since then, he has fought the online censorship of vaccine debacle stories like his. You have to wonder when it's going to stop. Assisting in the opining and analyzing and sticking around, and we appreciate that. Dr. Mark Sherwood, he was chatting with us about how Democrats want gun control instead of protecting schools. He himself is also a former Oklahoma gubernatorial candidate. He spent a lot of his career in law enforcement uh, and also at the Functional Medical Institute. A rather diverse uh, CV you have, doctor. Uh, thank you for sticking around. We appreciate that. Hey, you're welcome. Um, yeah, I... I read that story, uh, and it was very disturbing. Uh, just understand, you know, when he, he presents with this condition called transverse myelitis, that's really uh, another way to say inflammation around the spinal cord. That sort of gives you this um, induction of this autoimmune condition called multiple sclerosis that we have. So the debilitating effects of that are profound. Obviously, this has um, affected his life immensely, and, uh, you know, Without being intimate with his own case, I, I surmise, Alan, that the, uh, the trigger of this vaccine hitting his system was the actual trigger that sent him over the edge into this condition. And, and that's something that um, a lot of people are ignoring. And so I, I, I can see where uh, he's very frustrated and he should be. Oh, obviously, and I want us to go ahead and hear a little bit of what uh, he had to say in his own words. Uh, matter of fact, James, if you wouldn't mind, buddy, get clip number three ready. This is uh, going to be Dr. Joel Walscog himself uh, talking with uh, Rachel Campos Duffy. Uh, this is uh, from Fox's, uh, Fox News and Friends weekend show. And um, he pretty much uh, lays out what happened to him and what he's been going through since. Clip three, James, if you please. 
Questions continue to linger around the safety and efficacy of COVID vaccines. Our next guest is an orthopedic surgeon who says he had to stop working after developing a severe inflammation of the spinal cord after getting his first COVID vaccine. I was a completely healthy 50-year-old person with really no medical problems uh, until uh, about seven days after my first, or I should say one and only Moderna shot that I received on December 30th of, of 2020. Yeah. So I was yeah. completely otherwise healthy until seven days uh, after the shot. Now, th- th- this is just unspeakable. Um, and, of course, he- he's very upset with the censorship that's gone in- into play uh, uh, anytime somebody wants to bring up a story like this. And, of course, we've got the administration's censorship lobbying of Facebook. Um, and-, and-, and they did so when it came to quashing dissent from uh, doctors and scientists and health workers regarding all sorts of COVID protocols on everything from mask efficacy uh, to natural immunity. Uh, you know, remember, natural, natural immunity, as you know, is these days being understood as far exceeding vaccine immunity. Uh, we also understand the worthlessness of lockdowns. And finally, uh, the recognized likelihood of COVID originating from a lab leak versus natural transference from animals via an, intermary, an, intermer- an intermediary host. Um, Will damages ever be visited on either government employees or or these big tech employees, given that, uh, for instance, we've seen that so much of what they have asserted has proven to be wrong? I mean, we now know that uh, you can't stop COVID's transmission through this vaccine. We now know that natural immunity transcends the uh, strength of vaccine immunity, vaccine immunity. And, of course, any time... Uh, we hear horror stories following the taking of any of these vaccines. Uh, such revelations are immediately quashed. I'm not saying people shouldn't get the vaccine, but let's be honest with science. I mean, you know more than most that science is the study of the natural world based on facts learned through experimentation, observation, and competitive analyses. And if we don't have that final component, isn't it fair to say that we have nothing but junk science? Doctor. Yeah, indeed. Science is nothing more than hypotheses after hypotheses after testing those hypotheses. And it's realizing that it's a moving target, isn't it? It's never definitive. When we heard this term, trust the science, well, that's under the assumption that science is definitive. Well, science is not. We knew a long time ago, Alan, before we started this vaccine um, escapade that I call it, that natural immunity was always better or we wouldn't be having the conversations we have today. And we rushed into this thing. We made a lot of mistakes, and nobody wants to admit it. To your point in question, do I think people are held accountable? Um, sadly, I don't. And here's why. And I, and I hope they do, but here's why I think they won't. Because pharma's become such a heavy lobbyist with even conservative uh, lawmakers. You can look at ethics reports and see where they get their money. And in big pharma, Pfizer is a heavy donor, a heavy lobbyist. They advertise through the media through our television programs to us, interrupt our sporting events. I mean, they become so powerful because we've let it. If you want to stop this process, we would take away their ability to advertise to their kids out there. That would be cool. And the, the politicians stop taking their money. And so, I'm just surprised, I, Doctor, that there hasn't been a massive, massive class action lawsuit. Now, there's a big lawsuit going on right now with Missouri and Louisiana against the Biden administration vis-a-vis government tag-teaming with big tech to censor everything from the Hunter Biden laptop story to COVID protocols or what have you. But there should be some damages that can be genuinely realized. I mean, again, it's this – the one that really ticked me off the most was this 
vaccine immunities surpassing natural immunity. We, we understand that vaccinated immunity provides only 5 to 10% of the virus's genetic code, right? And, and, and right. these vaccines are not using what's called high-performing ORF1 immunogenic epitopes. Now, for the audience, very quickly, a, an epitope is that part of the antigen that flags down the antibodies from your immune system. And obviously, the more of these you have, by default, the better protected you're going to be. Uh, and natural immunity does have these high-performing ORF1 immunogenic epitopes. But uh, the more you unleash these high-performing epitopes, the more antibodies they attract. So you do wind up better protected. But these kinds of conversations for so long were never permitted to see the light of day, were they, doctor? They weren't. And, you know, the whole idea of natural immunity, as you talked about the epitopes, the idea behind that is something that's not quite fully understood, is it? You know, we look at the way we're made, and God fashioned our bodies with the immune system the way it is, and we have an adaptation ability that's uh, just unexplainable at this point. Um, and, and we're trying to get in there and override that thing by creating the spike proteins. And, and I get it, there may be some benefits out there somewhere, but you can't rush into that when you're altering genetic expression like this. And so We've opened up a whole Pandora's box of problems here that I don't think we've seen the end of yet, unfortunately. Do you see a massive class action lawsuit finally seeing the light of day, if for no other reason than because of all of these uh, breakout stories that we're coming across, such as with the good doctor? I see it happening, but I think it's going to be a heck of a battle. I think the win's going to be the forcing people to do it against their will. I think that'll be the win right there. All right. Dr. Mark Sherwood, again, former Oklahoma gubernatorial candidate, again, spending much of his career in law enforcement and also at the Functional Medical Institute. You're listening to The Alan Nathan Show right here on the Main Street Radio Network. The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.